Over the course of the past several episodes, we have visited quite a few different types of churches. Each one had a different approach to their worship style, and each one viewed Christian theology a bit differently from one another. Today, we're going to unpack our final thoughts on all of these things, and talk about what the implications of these views and worship styles are. Hey, I'm Bailey. I'm Michael. And I'm David. And welcome back to the Facing the Gates podcast. I'm doing gesticulations today for some reason. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I, it. I, I'm I mean, just feeling the, my, my voice a little bit more. Feeling the jazz It's hands. been a while since we've done one of these. Yeah, so we're actually, uh, you know, we're, we have an outline for this where it's like, you know, we, we know what we're talking about for once, whereas all the other ones... Well, this, I mean, with the the interviews, we had like you know the questions written yeah, out, but the but, the thoughts after the services were just kind of off the cuff. So it's been like it's three been like, months since we've get, done an episode like this. We we went, we ate, we thought about it, and then we discussed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's still pretty fresh in our I minds. Mean, it's been a while since I've worked on something before an episode. Like I worked on a tractor today. Yeah. So it's I been, my it's been I think, about two weeks since we've we've done our last church tour visitation thing. Um, so we've had uh, time to let the, the, the services marinate in our minds. Deliciously mm. marinate. And uh, so we're going to talk about... Still confused about one. <laughs> yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting. We're, we're going to kind of digest everything and we're going to do it in two parts. We're going we're, we're gonna to start with the service aspect of things and kind of compare and contrast all of the different ones we've been to with a few criteria questions. And then uh, we're going to go into the interviews and the theology and kind of dissect that. Um, Some of it may be stuff we've already talked about, you know, from previous episodes, but I think this will be a good exercise to kind of bring them all together and bring our final thoughts into the, the final thing. Um, So the service means something. Why do people worship the way they do, and what are the implications of that? Um, So let's compare and contrast the services we've attended. What does the architecture and artwork, uh, like the stained glass, windows, wall art, etc., of the building communicate to the attendee? What style do we like the most, and why? Yeah, I think, at least for me, the ones that, well, since I didn't go to the Catholic so I have no say so in that one. Is that but, the only one you didn't go to, uh, just for refreshers? From what I remember, yes, because okay. I. The, yeah, because you made it to the Presbyterian. Yeah, you went to Pentecostal. You went to Baptist, Lutheran. Yeah, I think only you missed the Catholic. Yeah, I like um, the Russian Orthodox, uh-huh. the Lutheran, the Anglican, and Methodist. All. And even like the Presbyterian, even though it was a smaller building and it didn't have, say, like the stained glass and stuff, but they all kind of gave the message this is something different. 
Yeah. Just from how, even though some of them didn't have like the means to necessarily push that to maybe the level they want to, but say like um, with the Russian Orthodox, just a small little building. Mm-hmm. It just. But it was still very regal. Yeah, how it was laid out, it's like, this has a purpose. Same with, say, like... um, It was almost otherworldly, in a sense. And the essence it gave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and say, like, the Methodist, because it's one of the more kind of just plain white walls, but it's how it's designed. But the architecture... There's the natural wood, the glass... The windows with their kind of... The pointed building yeah, the and pointed the pointed top. The, yeah. The the way the Methodist church is is like it's it it is it's kinda of like a fusion of like low church and high church. Yeah. Because it has the Methodist has always kind of been that middle ground. It has like the plain white walls without like all the icons and stuff, but it has stained glass windows and then the walls come up to a the point at the top yeah. and then it has uh the transept at the front, so it's kind of like in the shape of a cross. Yeah, it so kinda, it's kind of like that high church architecture, but... The positives ta- of both worlds. It takes right. the high church and brings it to the common yeah. man. And like the Lutheran had yeah. those beautiful glass... Stained with, glass windows. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, I, I still can just visualize them. Yeah, so which one was your favorite that you went to, if you had to pick one? Well, actually... Let's save that till the end, okay? Because we've got a couple other bullet points that I want to go through for this, and then we can kind of pick like our favorites just in general yeah. towards the end. But um, so Michael, what, which one? What about the architectures? Yeah. What, what's? Uh, are you just gonna echo what David said, or what do you well, think? For me, the uh, Orthodox and the Catholic were very otherworldly, and again. I think you mentioned this. It's like somewhat. It's like you're being watched by all that iconography and this depictions of people. Yeah, and they were just gorgeous. And the Lutheran was kind of in that vein, but lesser. But all of those in the Anglican, they were very. You could tell. That this was a special place that was sacred and should be held to a higher regard. These weren't places, these weren't a box that you go with everybody you know and have fun. These were places to come and worship and to reach that higher power. So uh, it kind of seems to me that the further back um, in history we went with the church tradition, the more historic it was and the more reverent it was in terms of the architecture. Yeah. Yeah. And the more removed from modernity. Yeah. I think it also has a thing to play with kind of like the mysticism because like, as we, I forget her name, but as kind of, she asked me how oh, I would, professor. Yeah. How we, I we unnamed God. For... It's like, I would view him kind of as an otherworldly kind of mystic power. Right. Even though I don't believe in them, but if I would... That's to, your conception. Yeah, because it's something kind of metaphysical. Right. And it's like going into that kind of design, it's like the purpose behind it, it's not just worldly. Right. Where I do understand where the kind of low church comes from, it's trying to get like as many people 
into kind of it's more accessible yeah it's cheaper it's trying to get to more people it's kind of a need like to an end it's like so, as a pastor what mark yes as he said i'd i'd be wrapping up on stage if it meant more people come to church yeah so it's they I have very that, different but, business models about getting people in church yeah yeah where like for me if i so say, for example uh not to cut you off but, but no just problem. just as a thought if we're comparing the baptist mega church which is the first church we went to um the the business model is do whatever it takes to get people in church whereas uh, you know, and, and that's more of the the service itself. Do whatever you have to do in the service and the building, you know, to to get people in. Whereas the Orthodox Church with Father Mark, two different marks. Um, yeah, yeah, funny enough. Um, the the approach is much. It, it's it's more introspective. It's more focus on yourself, and then mm-hmm. once you have yourself at a good point, yeah. That will draw people in it. Well, of itself. not necessarily just that, but seeing that, seeing you work on yourself, seeing you work for your community will show, as they said, they do a lot of kind of outreach, even yeah. in the local community, and that shows. Yeah. yeah. So Plus, it could be like, okay, well, I know they're part of church. What church should I go to? I need to go take a look at that, and maybe I might join, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Or and, like, hey, let me talk to him and ask him. Yeah, and plus, it also ties a lot to keeping traditions and keeping things the way that they've been doing. Because in the Orthodox and Catholic, I can tell that there's a lot more traditions carried forward. A lot right. more older things. You can tell that in the architecture. You can tell that in the iconography. You can tell that in the service. Right, yeah. And so it kind of t- it's one of those points where the tradition ties into not just the architecture, but also into the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Though you can also have that kind of a so like regular life, like say look in Japan, where there are a few things that like traditional architecture is still prominent, but it's kind of coming to the wayside the more accessibility. Yeah. So it it both in say religious sense and in a kind of more contemporary sense, they play those both lines. Should we go for more accessibility or should we stay true to kind of what we need and what we believe in? Yes. It's, it's kind of like the the balance between art and making money. Yeah. Oh, it's like it's like, definitely. do you want to stay an artist or do you want to make money? And it's like these are a scale. It's like a spectrum. It's like these two are opposed to each other. But but when it but if we were to swap out art with church tradition and making money with being accessible. That's kind of like the spectrum in Christianity right now. But even from what I've noticed, even in the more traditional churches, it seems like the people of the church have also put in a lot of work to make it the way it is and to keep things and repurpose things and refinish, make them beautiful, or even just make them themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that, architecturally speaking, is more valuable to me. I mean, heck, you would not stop talking about the Catholic Church where they took kind of the 
what was an old Catholic church with the stained glass and everything and brought it back up to light and make it beautiful again. And just you being just mesmerized. Yeah. You just kept telling me about like as soon as I got off work, that Monday morning, you're just like, hey, David, I need to tell you about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I gather and your first impression of the Catholic Church, um, just based on the fact that David said you wouldn't shut up about it, kind of reminds me of the first time I went to an Orthodox Church. Yeah, and you just got to stand there and offer for a minute. Yeah. I mean, me, I had me been, and you both just kind of stood there like, oh, my. The yeah, and that's, why, that's why we say, like, in, in, the, in our thoughts for the independent services, just go. Like, yeah, we're seriously. only going to be able to tell you yeah. so much. Especially you, with the more kind of, like, as you would say, high church stuff. Uh-huh. There's a lot of symbolic meaning and tradition and, and a lot of nuance. Yeah. And unless you go, especially if you would be willing to go, say, more times, you would un- start to understand it. And as I think uh, Pastor Mark, Father Mark, I, I forget which one. Which he prefers to go by, but, you know. Wait, wait which church are you talking about? Russian Orthodox. That's Father, Father Mark. Mark. Father Mark. Yeah. As he said, it, it takes at least a year or a few years to l- learn the traditions and then a lifetime to understand the traditions. Yeah. It, it's a lot. Yeah. And that Where I say, like, low church, it's like, okay. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. And it's very, very, it's easily digestible. Yeah, that's one of the things that the more modern Protestant churches is they try to, I don't want to say dilute, but like minimize, make it as compressed and simple and and digestible as possible for anyone to come in. It's like eating a fancy meal where you might have to take a second to understand each ingredient. No, it's like cooking a fancy meal. Mm-hmm. Where you might have a thousand ingredients versus cooking something that's simple and good. Yeah. Both are good in their own rights. Right. But one takes a little more understanding of the process to make, and the other is three ingredients to throw in a pot, and you call it a day. That's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's. I, I just had to bring in how Michael and stuff talk about the Catholic. Yeah. But I mean, the Orthodox Church also just left us kind of speechless. Yeah, that was actually our shortest episode. Wow. It was like 35 minutes. Yeah, because... Because I mean, we just couldn't put it into words. We were yeah. like, uh, it's just, it's cool. You should go. End of the episode. Yeah. And so... so and what the I would, smells delightful. Yeah. What I would say, for anybody listening who is able to go to these type of churches, go to all of them at least once. I mean, we traveled for a lot of these churches. Yeah, so we, we traveled two and, and a half. S- we stayed in a hotel and traveled two and a half miles. <laughs> or we got stuck in hours. traffic for how long? Three hours. Yeah. Um, we sang 99 bottles on the wall <laughs> down and we didn't move, but it was worth After it. After messing yeah. up and starting over. Yeah. Um, it was an experience. Bottom line is uh, we've, we've uh, put in put in the the mileage to go to all these different churches and um it was a worthwhile experience and i think that everyone at some point if you know if this even is remotely of interest to you you should do it do the same yeah Yeah. heck i'm a i'm a filthy atheist but still just doing the traditions and viewing everything it's nice yeah i think this has been a very good process but we'll we'll save that and say like even with other religions just 
go once. If it's not for you, fine. But at least you... I mean, you can you, sit out, yeah, you know? But... You can understand some of the culture and some of the reasons behind stuff. Yeah, and they're not... I've never felt like I was, like, not wanted there. Even for times, like, during communion, if we would stand in the back, it never felt like we were being judged. It was very much a... they want they are happy to have you and for you to experience because even if you don't believe you're understanding it right yeah you're learning yeah hey so i would recommend going to explore explore your religion i mean also you're not being educated it's like you're wrong yeah yeah all right so let's move on to the next one um music choice hymns versus contemporary who do you think they appeal to um what does it communicate and what do we think I think well, I'm going to say real quick, the contemporary appeals to your average, how do I say this nicely? Your average Joe? Your average American who doesn't want to separate their religion from the regular life. Your simpletons. Who doesn't want to bring the religion into the regular life. Because it's easy to put on a Christian rock album on the drive to work and feel like feel good about yourself. But it's hard to go to church and listen and understand these hymns and learn how to enunciate these hymns and to understand them. It's easy to write a love song to Jesus. It's not as easy to learn all these hymns and what they mean and why they're yeah. wrote. Or, I mean, heck, even if you want to... Even kind of differing in that mindset, because, uh, like, Christianity's not opposed to, like modernity so if you want to hand with a little bit of a guitar fine but it's all about the meaning and the implications behind it because say like with modern contemporary as we've all kind of discussed it's as you said a love song for jesus and there's so many christian albums that i've listened to and not heard the first theological perspective or anything it's just either a love song to jesus or a regular fucking joe song yeah yeah so it's all about the implications and that's why we all we kind of just we prefer like the hymnals where if there was kind of a perfect like adding like the new instruments and whatnot but keeping that kind of meaning and that the theological perspective yeah it would be a beautiful thing and it's rare to find growing up um i used to just hate hymns because like i just thought they were boring and just at the age range that i was at um and the things that were going on at my church i wanted more contemporary music and so when i went to like your your average mega church and hearing that contemporary music it was something different and it was unique and it was a different experience a different expression of christianity not saying that it's invalid or anything but now that i'm a little bit older I do appreciate hymns a lot more because it is so unique to Christianity. When you go into a church and you hear a hymn, you know that you're in a church because the hymn is unique to Christianity. So it sounds like it's something separate from the rest of the world. Not necessarily just the Christianity, but to a spiritual experience itself because other religions have their hymns or chants. Yeah, but those hymns are also unique to that religion. Yeah. But, but hymn, you know hymns I mean. are like a, a religious genre. Yeah, it's, essentially. A re- it's a spiritual genre where it's... <clears throat> and, I mean, heck, 
Um, so that's that's what it implies to me when there is a him yeah. is that this is something separate from the rest of the world. And that that implication carries more value yeah. to me now. And, and I'm not saying in incorporating religion into contemporary music is bad because one of my favorite albums, It's a Pimp a Butterfly, really struggles with God and with the self and all and Christianity. I mean, heck, I love right. Christian I, metal. I, I am moved by that, but that's not why I'm going to that album. I mean, heck, my Tumblr. But name, you're not going to hear that in a church. Yeah, you're not going to hear that in the church. There's a di- like you mentioned in one of the episodes. There's a difference between like mainstream contemporary Christian music and like worship music. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's con- uh, quote unquote yeah, contemporary. Because I mean, heck, my Tumblr name was as uh, as we were a sinking ship, which is a song by a Christian metalcore band. But the lyrics I. And the words when you are silent, and I'm an atheist. Yeah, so you're not gonna hear yeah. you're not gonna hear you know metalcore in uh, contemporary that, Christian that, church. I, I, yeah. I, lo- I, I would go definitely if that it, was the it'd case. It'd probably be a themed church and if so they did. This isn't me bashing any Christian musicians because I like a lot of them. But what yeah, I was, that's a different thing. In my yeah. in my opinion, if you're like going to you know some butt rock fest- festival and you're listening to Skillet, you know, like that's different than. Yeah going we've heard skillet live before <laughs> yeah they're pretty good not gonna lie i mean um, I, I saw red live and they were pretty cool too yeah but so i mean that's something different than going to a mega church and hearing who, whatever artist you know yeah they're gonna have that sing a love song that was just changed fit jesus in it yeah basically and so well not remember you're not, not all of them were that way though yeah, yeah. like but, when we went to the baptist mega church like that was one thing I noticed is that they tried to not do that. But some of them were. Some of them were, yes. Yeah. yeah. And just remember, you're not making contemporary music better by doing that. Yeah. You're, <laughs> As St. Hill said, you're not making rock better. You're not making Christianity better. You're making both worse <laughs> or something like that. Though I also like because especially, say, up until kind of the modern times, Christianity was... Re- kind of one of the moving forces like music because i mean the church paid for a lot of music yeah and that's where like the tritonus the devil's chord or whatnot comes from which is a misconception well yeah which is so for me so what what are the implications of the the different types of music to me personally i feel like the hymnals are more reverent and more outreaching to the higher power where contemporary music you can just blank out for the whole time it kind of blends in with everything else yeah where the way i look at it god is supposed to be separate from everything else because he created everything and so by by diluting down his message and to make it easier to digest you're losing a lot of it and you're losing what makes Christianity special. You're losing what makes Islam special. You're losing what makes each of these religions special, and that's the culture. By making it accessible, yeah, you're yeah. diluting it. And, and I get why they do it. Yeah, I understand. I mean, the appeal of accessibility, but uh, also, is strong because you want people to be saved. Yeah, I think it's also but, kind of kind of a main thing about like conviction because anyone can put like four chords on a guitar and sing a song, where. I do prefer, say, hymnals, but say, like, a, 
underground metalcore band that's almost preaching to you and you can tell by the conviction in their voice and how much energy they're putting towards that you can kind of tell this is what they're they mean this is what they're trying to tell you yeah it's also about conviction and say like a with a choir it's just the human voice which is kind of what god gave us i mean god gave us also the mind to play instruments and whatnot but the voice is something special yeah but right. also in that connotation when you bring christianity into contemporary you also bring in a lot of people who are in it for the money oh to say the least and so that's again one more reason where i'm not a big fan of contemporary christian music i'm not going to put that on I'm not. If I hear that when I'm walking down the street, I'm not going to stop and appreciate it. If I hear a church singing a hymn as I'm walking by the street, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take a second. I'm going to listen. Even though I'm not a Christian, that's moving. Yeah. And that is true conviction in my eyes. Yeah. And so I will say, for me personally, I prefer the hymns. I think they're more... Some churches did hymns better than others. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But, I mean, no matter what, if someone's doing a hymn even if they can't keep a tune it shows that they're really about it yeah <laughs> because it's like uh, i personally don't really care if someone was off tune or if everyone was off tune it's like okay they're, they're about this they believe and they're not afraid to show it all right um and plus it creates sorry. that level of separation yeah because when you're speaking to God, you're supposed to have that level of separation from the world. You're supposed to take that time and to communicate, whether you're praising, whether you're praying. You, that's supposed to be a separate thing right? from your day-to-day. -day. It's gotcha. like you can talk to God constantly, but can you communicate with him constantly? You can't. You've got to take your time out of your day and do that. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Let's go to the next one. Um, what is the role of the congregation in the service? I think it di it very wildly differs. Oh yeah. I think, like, the I'm, the mega church and the Pentecostal church, yeah. the congregation was much more involved with like clapping and that kind yeah, of thing they were I mean, a crowd and, and honestly the beginning of each service had like the congregation kind of singing or doing something and then it, that's after that point that's where it varied differently and then you had like but also in some and say like uh the lutheran or the lutheran the Anglican, catholic it's like Anglican. the pastor's kind of a part of a congregation and honestly. the orthodox where where there was like the call and response yeah type thing where that was the role of the congregation was to kind of and it kind of felt like the pastor the father whichever the priest the priest it kind of felt like they were part of the congregation too they're on a level playing field was yeah i agree that I don't, I don't think that's a specific bullet point I have on here, but actually, yeah, that is the next one. Uh, <laughs> cool. Never mind. I just looked down. Um, yeah. We'll, 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 well, we'll fuse that with this one. What yeah, is the role of the pastor quite. in the service? What is the role of the pastor in the service? Um, one thing I did notice, basically what you just said, is in the more ancient historic services like Catholic, Orthodox, and... Um, Anglican um, 
the priest in that case felt like a part of the congregation more. Yeah, it felt like they were all they weren't there just the priests who were there to worship. They were the worst, leading yeah. but they they were at the front, they were leading, but a lot of them had their backs turned to us, so there that symbolizes them also being subservient to God like the rest of the congregation. Yeah. Or like Whereas, you know, like the Baptist Church and the Presbyterian and you know, uh the more contemporary. Yeah. More um, contemporary has it kind of facing towards us. They're they're up on a stage. They're facing you. It's more of a show. Uh, the Presbyterian wasn't so much of a show, but um, I mean, just having the pastor or priest facing you is a completely facing you or facing away from you is a completely different thing. Now, if you're not used to the pastor or priest um, having their back to you. Uh, that's a little, that's going to seem foreign to you. And it's going to seem weird. It's going to be like, well, that's rude. Why has he got his back turned to me? Yeah. You know, but, but it's not necessarily turning your back. But that's kind of joining the herd. Right. It, it's putting a different message forth. Yeah. A shepherd doesn't always face the herd. A shepherd also leads. Yeah. And so in leading, you're a part of the herd. And also one thing I noticed with the more traditional is there would be times where, they were either constantly moving and doing something like with the incense or bringing the gospel down or they'd be sitting and observing too. Usually quietly hands in their laps focused. They were as much getting the message as they were giving the message is what it felt like. So father Mark sent me a video I can send you later if you want. It's, um, basically an explanation of what was going on during the whole liturgy from the priest's perspective. So when they're back there in the holiest of holy, the area that symbolizes the holy of holies, I don't know what it's actually called off the top of my head, but, um, he's doing stuff during the service back there. He's blessing, making, making prayers. I notice like whenever like the doors were open or you could get a glimpse, you're like, okay, he, he's, doing a lot of stuff back there yeah he's not just standing there yeah um which is different compared to say like the lutheran where it's like if the the uh pastor isn't really doing something he's just kind of sitting off to the side yeah he's or sitting and he's kind of taking in everything or the catholic where they have two two, two priests yeah. yeah well they have i think they have multiple priests at the orthodox church i i need to you know, double check this but i think um it's typical for them to have multiple priests in the Catholic and the Orthodox. Um, but then you had the archpriest who yeah. is the lead priest. And that was what Father Mark was. Yeah. And <clears throat> either they were constantly doing something that had a purpose. And or they were observing just like we were. And that right. really brings them. Granted, they are on a higher level in the church. But that brings them down to our level, too. And they're as much getting the message and receiving the message and giving praise as we are. Whereas sometimes in the bigger churches, you don't know what they're doing. They're just either up on that stage preaching or nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And so it kind of brings back to the human level of we're all just, we're all equal. Yeah. And we're all there for a reason. So what about the congregation? I'll go back to that question. What's the role of the congregation 
and the different ones, kind of compare and contrast. It felt more in the more modern ones that they were just the crowd. Okay. Whereas with the hymns and the chants, you were very much more active. And like with receiving communion, that is an active thing. Mm-hmm. That has reverence. Yeah. That has a purpose. And granted, we d- we didn't participate in a lot of the communions. But but we, we also kind of go out of respect because we yeah. don't want to take what's not ours. But like with the Catholic one, we went up, we received the blessing, our arms crossed over our chest, and we were involved. And with the Orthodox, you can tell everyone there was involved in something. And they they were actively paying attention. Yeah. And so I think the more traditional, the uh, congregation takes a more active role. That's one um, kind of hard line I'm noticing is you have your churches that have like uh, hymns and a more reverent service. And then you have your more modern services that aren't quite as reverent and use more contemporary yeah. music and, and that that divide is is very vast yeah and even, between even yeah. even between like the presbyterian church and the mega the baptist mega church we went to there was a yeah. there's a vast divide it's almost yeah. like a binary because because of, because of the way the service is held yeah and that's like even with the methodists we were active because there was a moment in time where everyone just wanted to greet everybody right and there were it wasn't just you could sit down and just zone out for an hour and then leave. Yeah. Granted, you could do that. Right. But but it wouldn't be right. <laughs> but you 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 were encouraged. I want to say to take a more active role. And to after a service to talk with the preacher or talk with the father. And Bruce. that's something that. I prefer when the congregation is as involved, uh, not as involved as, say, the preacher, but involved. Right. Because yeah. you're there also to worship. You're there also to praise. But you're not there to be entertained. Yeah. You're there for a purpose. And that's that's one. And I, I don't want to be, you know, a harping, harp. Yeah, I don't want to be harping on like the Baptist and the or rather the megachurch because there are more traditional Baptists out there. But like the. The megachurch-esque atmosphere that we went to with the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church were more megachurch-ish. Yeah. Um, they, it, it's it was more of a entertainment event in my eyes compared to, you know, the more traditional services that are more reverent. Um, the role of the congregation in those cases were to be entertained and to just kind of. You know, to cheer, to be the crowd of a of a concert, or I, I know some people, the, those people that go to those services are probably going to be annoyed and yeah. think I'm a boomer about this. But when you when you've gone to both services, it's the difference is is very it, black and white. It's a binary. Yeah, you can't honestly. just be a passive observer. Yeah, like we were pa- as passive observers as we could be, but we were still involved. Right. Even yeah. though I can't sing. In ancient languages, but or yet, Russian, or I didn't understand a word of what he was saying in Russian, but I was zoned into the whole movement of everything, like everybody going up to 
the icons. Yeah. Going up and venerating, venerating the icons, or even in the Catholic Church, on the sides, they would go and do a similar thing there. And even with like the Methodists, you weren't just a passive observer. Where I think in the more mega churches, you can just be a passive observer and learn dick about religion. Learn well, dick I think, about uh, theology. Pastor Marcia, like, there, there's one guy that just sits back there, eyes closed, sleeping. He must trust what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's like, is that necessarily what we want? I mean, yeah. if it gets more people actively observing, yes. The one past, it's the kind of one to many problem. Once you reach so many people, it becomes pe- a maintenance issue. Yeah. Yeah. Where, say, like, in smaller areas, Orphalox will have a smaller reach, but everyone's active. Right. It's quality versus quantity at that point. Yeah. And it's such a hard problem, honestly. Yeah, and you can also tell by how... You can only save so many people. How the congregation greets new people. Mm-hmm. Like, before the services, we were greeted, and just in the way they greeted you could tell how the service was going to go. Like, we were told, if we have any questions, ask away. Because I want to, they wanted, the people at the Orthodox Church want to make sure we understood what was happening. And then afterwards. uh, With the Catholic, we luckily had someone to kind of guide us through. But it seems very much that if someone had noticed that we were new, they would be more likely to do the same thing. Whereas. Well, especially in South, everyone's been to a protestant church of some kind yeah but like the orthodox church even afterwards like uh olaf was his name like we just kind of sat and talked and discussed you and him had a conversation me and him had a conversation mm-hmm. i i remembered his name after all this <laughs> but yeah and it it's kind of a like everyone was welcoming but also there's a being different the, type of welcome. Yeah, being in the South, it's like, oh, well, welcome kind of to the family where, where like, the Protestant word, like, the Orthodox is like, here's kind of how everything goes. Welcome. We'll kind of guide you on this. If you got any questions, let us know. We're happy yeah. to answer. But also, it's the kind of the South of the U.S. Everyone's been to a Protestant church of some kind. Yeah. So it's also kind of a different mindset. Right. Because now, as we know, ooh, Catholic, ooh, Orthodox, scary witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so me personally, I like the congregation to be active, actively participating, participating, yeah. actively practicing their religion during the service. Even, even if you get lost, you can tell the people who are paying attention. Whereas some some of the more Protestant churches, it was hard for me to pay attention because so much going on that I already known or rambling for 20 minutes. And you could tell, you can look around, oh, old Gertrude there asleep. <laughs> Somebody's on the phone. Yeah. They're not yeah. getting a dick out of this. It also kind of puts into like the question sitting versus standing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Did that, it think was, of that? that? That is a question because there was only one service where we stood, and there was a lot of services, all of the rest of them, where we sat. I yeah. mean, there were parts where we stood, but... Yeah, it, well, it depends... Like, um, I, I, like, understand if you can't stand for long times or you have some something going on, then, yeah, sit down. Yeah. Take a breath. Just focus. But it's a kind of different connotation when you're standing up and kind of actively kind of moving around because, like, with Dwarf Fox, everyone was kind of shifting around, doing what they needed to get done and participating where every other service, we all just kind of sat in the same place, stood up in the same place. If you went to receive communion, you received communion. And, you know, that kind of connotation. Right. I think that, that was a good point to bring up. Yeah, it, I, I, as soon as it's like, oh, wait, yes, yeah, sitting versus standing. I mean, I, I do love the chair reviews, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, standing for two hours is a little brutal. Um, that wasn't bad for me. But we also were able to sit down... Every, we sat down for like the last twenty minutes, but yeah, honestly, I, I didn't know how long it was. Yeah, well, that that was another thing is like with with those kind of services, you don't know the passage of time exists anymore. Yeah, you you don't see a clock on the wall or nothing. Yeah, you just smell incense and hear Russian mm. chanting. Yes. Yeah, and it's like this this is beautiful. I do not know what's going on, <laughs> yeah. but but it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Um, so what are the similarities and differences between the sermons we've heard from the message itself to the length and method of delivery? I think most of them were about the same length. I think the quickest was the Lutheran, if I remember correctly. Probably. No, he did pack a lot. Yeah. He packed because I forget exactly what, but I remember he packed a lot in that sermon. And it wasn't just one reading. It was Old Testament, New Testament. Um, I think the longest was the Orthodox, even though it was more so the preparation for communion and everything, at least from the what... The sermon? Well, not the sermon, but... Yeah, we're, we're speaking I'm not about, about the sermon. Oh, let's see. Yeah, I think the Lutheran was still the quickest, but maybe... maybe? I, feel, I feel like... Uh, the longest, for me personally, and I don't know the time out, it just felt the longest. Pastor Kenny sermon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his was definitely pretty long. But also Pastor Mark was very long yeah, the as or well. I mean... So I, I that's one other thing I've noticed is like the more... I won't even say Protestant, but the radical Reformation Protestants, which like your Baptist, Methodist, uh, Pentecostals, everything that happened, you know, they're... For people who don't know church history, there's, like, the Protestant Reformation, which involved, like, you know, Luther, Calvin, um, Zwingli, and so basically that would be your Lutheran church, your Presbyterian church, effectively. Yeah, like 17 um, to 1800s. Your Anglican church, right. Um, and then, then there was, like, the, the Radical Reformation, which was... I think eventually the, the Methodists, the yeah. Baptists, which started, I think, after the later, scientific revolution. Yeah. And then later yeah. you had your, your Pentecostals. Yeah. Now, Pentecostal the more radical fifties. Yeah. The radical ref reformers, um, had a much stronger focus on having the longer, like 45 minute long sermon, uh, because that, that's just part of the, the holiness movement and 
the I think it was the Holy Miss movie. There's there's something else I'm thinking of off the top of my head, but I don't know what like it was the beginning called. of the, Basi- basically the, the tent the, revivals and everything. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the tent revivals With, and the right like that, the that movement in the early twenties to fifties. Yeah, late well nineteen twenties to nineteen fifties is when it really well, started no, popping I'm, off. I, no, 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 I'm talking like I even before back I'm when talking it started. like colonial America. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, because I know the, at least Pentecostal really started popping off like 20s to 50s. Yeah. They had a lot of huge same revivals in like the Midwest. Yeah, well, that that was a resurgence of okay. the holiness movement, which was like the 1700s. And then you have the Protestant Reformation, which originally happened around, you know, 15, 1600. Okay. Um, and in different forms. But anyway, uh, that's a whole Yeah, I different... just know like between the first... The earliest two, the scientific revolution happened, and then it went straight back to religion. Yeah. yeah. So basically, long story short, is the more uh, you know Catholic Orthodox and like the early Protestant reformers tend to have like a shorter sermon, and then the more uh, radical reformers had the longer like forty-five minute sermons. Yeah, it, yeah. it's really hard to like. We can kind of guess what how long the service was but as you said like the more traditional had like a short service even the orthodox if it was just straight in russian it would have been quick yeah but he also want but uh father mark let us know here's what happened if you can't speak russian and here's the kind of meanings of that so it kind of doubled itself in length but in reality, like all the kind of more traditional was very short spoken, but kind of packed densely. Yeah. And even the Catholic one, the Catholic sermon was a little bit longer than some of them, but it was very informative. His, I thought, was like 15, 20 minutes. It really wasn't that long. Yeah. He just like they packed so much in that 15, 20 minutes which I prefer because I'm if it's a 15 20 minute sermon with a lot of stuff packed into it I'm going to remember yeah, more of that fo- than I am. It's like a yeah. I can focus they, for 20 minutes more put, than I can focus for 40 minutes. They put 40 more minutes. emphasis on the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Like than a, they do on their words. Yeah. For lack of better terms that's the only way I can put it. Yeah. Like um Trent the Presbyterian yeah, that like, one was like a 30 minute. It, it was kind of in between. It didn't really feel too long, but I still remember kind of everything said, especially since he tied like the kind of meeting behind the numbers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it a don't fear, believe? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, I remember that. But, and like the young girl and the lady and the re- reason behind. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. If but I, I do agree with you. Even if it's shorter, the human mind can only take so much time and soaking stuff in. So keeping it nice, compact, but condensed. Plus, I think that has something to do with the the way the rest of the service is. Like, if it's a more liturgical service, um, time doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. And plus, the ver- so, the gospel either. Like, you are more absorbed in a service, at least for me. I was more absorbed in the Orthodox liturgy or the Catholic Mass. I was more absor- absorbed in that service that I wasn't really 
worrying about what I was going to do later or, or what time it was or anything Whether like that. For lunch. Yeah. I wasn't really mm-hmm. worried about that in those services because those services do a good job at taking you out of time. the world. Yeah. Basically. Whereas your more modern services are a part of blend the world. so much with the rest of the world that it's hard to separate. Sep- yes. To separate it. So you are checking your watch, saying like, okay, well, he's been going at this for 50 minutes now. I wonder when he's hey, done. Hey, preach. Hurry the hell up. Yeah. I need to get lunch. Yeah. All right. So let, let's talk about the method of delivery also. Because there some serve sermons were more reverent mm-hmm. and others were more theatrical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll let you talk, Michael, because I know you got some thoughts. Oh, let's unpack this. All right. Now, there were some that were more enthusiastic and a little more theatric that I still felt were heart that were like Pastor Kendall. Yeah, Pastor Kendall. He's to me, he represents a good middle ground between the the like 100 percent liturgical and the 100 percent show. And then it felt like his ego was driving him through that where some of them. Felt like the ego is driving. Yeah. How can I be the star of this show? Yeah. You fucking can't be. You're not supposed to be. Whereas, and so, Kendall, that, that's props to you, bud. Whereas, like, Father Mark, Father Dwight, Father Russ, I'm trying, they, and, I want to say Lutheran too, but I can't Pastor John. It very much felt like the ego, it was voided of ego. It was very much serving a purpose that wasn't for the self. Yeah. And Trent too. I'll add him in there too. It wasn't ego fueled and pushed forward by ego. And and I'm going to piss some people off because you know who I left out. But I don't care because I'm not going back to your church. <laughs> but it very to me, it's especially with Father Mark and his humility speaking with us. Yeah. And yeah, it was humility, it, but also depth of knowledge. Yeah. That, and that and hum- spiritual wisdom. And even what our more enthusiastic friend, Pastor Kendall. Uh-huh. He very much, it felt like he was just super enthusiastic about his beliefs and it wasn't his ego pushing him forward right. to make you think he's just enthusiastic about his beliefs. Yeah. And that goes to the interviews, that goes to the service. Pride is one of the deadly sins. Pride will get you killed. Yeah. Pride will stray away the sheep from the herd. And so ego is a showing of pride. I think that there's an interesting correlation between an emphasis on um, sacramental life as well as just personal devotion. Yeah. Um, so the service, the the more historic sacramental traditions have a more emphasis, uh, a stronger emphasis on um, spiritual progression. Uh, and and trying to better yourself spiritually and, and your temperament and stuff. Whereas your once saved, always saved type churches don't really care about 
those virtues. Yeah. Or, uh, I'm not going to say they don't care about it at all, but it, there's a significant less... There's a night and day difference between the two I when think, you talk to one and then the other. I think Father Mark put. I think Father Mark put it nicely. That type of Christianity is used as a. Like oh God, what's what's the word? A fix yourself book. As soon as you do that, it's fixed. oh self help book. Self help book. Yeah. Whereas with the more traditional, it's very much you have to work on this. Yeah. I've got to work on this. You've got to work on this. We all have yeah. to work on this because we are mortals and we are imperfect. Yeah, which as we kind of stated in a previous episode, that's kind of how we all kind of feel religion kind of should be. It's not just, oh, yeah, everything will. If you believe the if right you, things, if then you, you'll pass the test. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like, no, this is a journey of some sort. Yeah. Yeah, like, because I'm, I'm not the judge or jury, but there's people who I guarantee you. There's people who say they're Christians that are in hell. Guarantee it. And I guarantee you there's pastors who have said they are of the religion. They're in the same place. Not necessarily due to their belief, but due to their pride and their ego that they push forward and the false connotations and messages that go forth through that. Because pride's a very evil thing if you let it be. Yeah. And so for me... And if you're a demon, hypothetically speaking... Uh, you go for the mass. I mean, who... If, if they're already in the church, then what do you do? You go after their leader. The wolf and sheep's clothing. Well, not just the leader, but you go after who has the most, and then you get the leader, so you get the most people. Yeah. Yeah, and the words of uh, Marcellus Wallace, you feel that? That's pride. Pride will get you fucked up. And so for me personally, when I, I felt sense. like the preacher was more was as much worshiping as they were preaching... I and feeling that there was no ego there due to the traditions put forth, due to the humility put forth. That's the services that I gravitated towards enjoying. That's services that I got the most out of. Same. Um, and on that note, let's let's wrap up this section and we can people can probably already the tell real, where this is real going. Real quick, I, I love how Michael put a Pulp Fiction <laughs> quote. It's not a perfect Pulp Fiction quote. I could fuck up the quote, but it's essentially what he's saying. Probably okay. get you killed. Yeah. Good movie. Um, Watch it. Which were our favorite churches, and which type of service do we prefer? We can also keep it vague and to not, like, you know, name or exclude people yeah. if I mean, you want. As but... we kind of say, the more traditional. Yeah. Like, no, no shade towards more kind of modern contemporary, but... At least for us, more traditional kind of has a different connotation, yeah, and kind of different implications. And the other thing is, it's service. really good to have gone to all of these services like back to back to back to back to back to be able to compare and contrast them, because if you're just like, if you just go to this one church your whole life and you don't know what else is out there, then of course you're gonna get offended when somebody says they like something else, because you've never experienced yeah. it. That's like, I don't like chocolate that much. 
Bailey might love chocolate. Doesn't mean either of us are wrong. Yeah. It just means that I, I'm not a big chocolate fan, yeah. and he's a big well, chocolate fan. You have found the right chocolate for you. Go fuck yourself. Okay. <laughs> Chili chocolate or dark chocolate is delicious. Anyway, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I enjoyed the more historic liturgical churches, yeah. like the uh, Orthodox, Catholic, yeah. and then... Anglican. Kind of figure as you just, as we've discussed, you've kind of leaned more towards orthodoxy. Yeah. At least, or at least more <clears throat> traditional. Yeah. And the way I'm going to put it is the bottom of the barrel is really low. The middle is a lot higher than the bottom for me. And the top ones are oh, just, God tier. just that, just that bit better. Yeah, so, and so we we talked about this in the car on after we sang ninety nine bottles of beer on the wall uh, while we were in traffic. Losing our minds. We're, we were talking about basically this exact thing, kind of comparing and contrasting all the services we went to. Um, so basically, to summarize what you said, there's a couple churches that are like bottom tier, and then there's a giant gap between that and like a lot of the other churches. And I would put that as they are, I put, eh, good, So it's like, great. it's like, it's like D tier. That's like F tier. <laughs> okay. I put A tier and then S tier. Okay. Because S is just a step above A. Yeah. That's how I put it for me personally. I mean, I, I'd pretty much agree with you. And so if you feel that. I, I would probably nuance them a little bit more. I might put them like in B tier, and then there might be one in A tier, and then like two in S tier. But anyway, you, I get what you're saying. It's yeah, basically the same thing. Close enough. Yeah. So if you're the ones that feel like you're an F tier, let me know, and I'll let you know if you're right or wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll explain to you why I liked your service. Yeah. Or why I didn't. Yeah. I'll give you I'll, I'll You can call me on the phone. I can no. shoot you an email. No. We're not going to give you your phone number. Oh, goodness gracious. We get enough uh, oh, spam no, no. callers. It, the, the fathers or the preachers. Priest. Priest. Uh-huh. They'd have to reach out to us. So if you feel. Oh, oh, you're talking about them. I thought you were talking about like the people that go to those churches that want oh, your no. number. They can, they can leave a comment and I'll respond. Okay, yeah. I'm going to add this number to a bunch of spam calls. <laughs> just so we think. Dude, I, I ain't so going to have this number calls. much longer, so. Eh. All right. But yeah, so if you happen to be feeling offended right now and you want to know if your church hit the mark, then shoot us an email and I'll yeah. let you know. Yeah. I'll let you know why it did or why it didn't. But yeah, I, I'm leaning. Yeah, I don't want to slander anybody. Yeah, I'm not anything. saying any churches are bad. We, we just have to compare and contrast what we have, like what we've been to. Yeah, and, and, so and given what we've experienced, like uh, these are our opinions. And if you don't like them, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a bash on your uh, denomination. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, Might just be a bash on you as a person. <laughs> wow. Onwards, rude. All right. Well, anyway, um, we haven't gotten a comprehensive understanding of each church's theological viewpoint, but we have managed to get a fairly introductory view. So let's talk about some of those similarities and differences and see where we stand. Um, do you have a view or preference on how a church is governed? Well, 
Me personally, I've preferred how the more traditional churches are governed. With Granted, like a bishop and like a hierarchy, basically. And, uh, well, like regional, where if there's checks and balances. Yeah. Whereas with some of the more modern ones, is very, eh, it is what it is. There's the congregational churches. Yeah. Where it's, it's kind of like a democracy of each church. I don't like what you're saying, so you're you're out. Yeah. Or I'm say what I want to say. That just doesn't sit right with me. Because yeah, there's always room for interpretation. But there should be some checks and balances. And there should be some accountability. Yeah. Because if you're preaching, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? The gospel. Well, no. If you're preaching the gospel, that's fine. But if you're preaching a heresy. 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 Or you're preaching something that's farly not in the Bible, you are one of the worst. Yeah. And so there, ne- I feel there needs to be some checks and balances. Granted, in some denominations, there's more room to do that, but I much prefer the uh, more traditional hierarchical. Yeah, hierarchical. And I get why that can be off-putting to some people. Like one of my biggest issues with say Catholicism is, what's that? Hit me with that word again. Papal infallibility. Papal infallibility. Yeah, but I do like most of how it is governed and it's like and a lot of to be to be fair a lot of churches borrow or steal or whatever you want to call it from the way the catholic church is well yeah it's because it's kind of a lineage (laughs) yeah and so for me like for example the orthodox church is basically governed the exact same way the Catholic Church is governed, but without a pope at the top, you have a council of bishops instead. Yeah, and see, for me, personally, knowing that what is being said is going to be theologically sound and also isn't going to mislead anybody and that there's accountability there. Yeah. And I know that can... The hierarchical stature can draw some people off, but there's a reason it's there. Yeah. Just like in the U.S. government, we have, granted, they don't always work, and there are shortcomings, but there are checks and balances that are supposed to work. They right. work as much as you let them. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, in a perfect scenario, perfect world, everyone will have a say, but unfortunately, once you allow everyone to have a say, there's people with alternative motives. Well, ulterior motives. Yeah. And it... Yeah, because there, there's just too much potential for, if you have one guy running a church, there's so much potential, yeah. and, and a lot of or these when you independent have churches running, and then there's one person that says one thing gets enough people to believe what he's saying. Yeah, the, well, boom. there's there's a problem with the supreme dictator of a church where they can go off the rails and have no accountability, or if the congregation isn't really pursuing any form of Christian living and they just dislike the pastor because. He's set, he or she is saying something that they don't like, they can run them out because they just don't like them. Yeah. 
And so that, that causes problems uh, that uh, a more hierarchical form of governance is kind of designed to prevent. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that the hierarchical, you know, there can't be a corruption within that. Yeah, because, I mean, you can look at history and see there's some popes that barely knew anything, if they knew anything about Catholicism. But for the most part, it's been pretty good. Yeah. And I, I think we're all in agreement here that there needs to be some governing. Because the congregation should be able to run a preacher out just because he's saying the truth. Yeah, but and the preacher, preacher shouldn't also have yeah. ultimate control. Yeah. Over everything. Right. And I'm not saying everything as in his local ordinance. I'm saying everything as in like what he's saying, what he's preaching. Because when you're preaching, you're speaking God's message out. And that is something that is very powerful and can be misused very dangerously. All right. Um, what do you think of the different views on communion uh, being transubstantiation slash the literal body and blood, uh, consubstantiation, which would be the spiritual presence, or the Zwinglian view, which is symbolic? Um, and how does that impact how you view partaking in communion? Granted, I'm not a Christian, but I see why communion is such a big deal. I understand why it's such a major point of Christianity. And me personally, I think it should be done every week. Not every quarter, not every month, every week. Because first, even if it's symbolic, you're prepping your body to receive the symbolic body and blood of Christ. That's powerful in and of itself. And if, if your belief is that it's, turns into literal blood and flesh or any anything greater than that symbolic meaning that is even more powerful and that is more reason to practice it to take it seriously to take it seriously yeah and also again i'm aligning myself more traditional in this sense but i see why it's such an important important turning stone of christianity i think a lot of the pastors and priests we've interviewed have referenced um, when Jesus said if, if you don't have uh, if you don't drink of my blood and eat of my flesh you have no life in you I think a lot of them have referenced that passage yeah. and, and talking about this question when we've asked them yeah and to me personally it doesn't matter if it's physical if it's symbolic if it's spiritual I think innately it's it's powerful honestly for me it's innately kind of a spiritual moment but it with symbolic tones it's just uh kind of is it literally his flesh and blood because i mean no one's gonna say taking communion is not a spiritual experience right and there's some some people would say oh, i just ate there, some bread and drink yeah, some and there's juice. a sim, symbolism but uh with the bread being his body, the wine being his blood. So it's mainly the, is that literally? Yeah. Well, there's which, also that, that, yeah. um, there was that, I don't, I'm not going to remember the passage off the top of my head, but basically the, the part where Jesus kind of preaches this, basically essentially this, um, talking about communion and then, uh, people turned away because it was such a hard teaching. Yeah. Um, and, and he was talking about like the literal body and blood 
in, in that, yeah. that context of that passage. And so, um, you know, you can imagine why people would turn away because it's like what you're endorsing, you know, cannibalism. But when you and look at it, it sounds sounds weird to that people. But also like that's the historic view of yeah, it, you're, essentially. Yeah, you're consuming a meta, basically a metaphysical being. I don't think it counts as cannibalism. Right. Yeah, at that point, and also, and, but also, like, uh, for like the symbolism throughout the Bible, turn water into wine, and like the loaves of bread and the few fish into enough to feed I forget how many people five thousand five thousand. That's heavy symbolism. It's the wine and bread's kind of shown throughout the Bible in symbolic ways too. Yeah, and on top of that. We we saw, what, three communions? You participated in one. Mm-hmm. And we both received blessings during one. Mm-hmm. But they took it seriously. Yeah. It wasn't just eating a little wafer and drinking some yeah. wine. Or a little piece of bread. Now, we, did, we didn't... Um, there wasn't communion in the more uh, low-church Protestant services... Yeah. Partly because they just do it more rarely, yeah. but also and all, the time that we went. And it, it just depending on the congregation, like with the Lutheran, he wants to do it every week, but he has to kind of get everyone up to doing it every yeah, week. Yeah, and same with uh, the Presbyterian. But, I mean, you guys have, I imagine, taken communion when you guys were younger. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I imagine that is a little bit different than the times that we went in the more high church services. Yeah, but e- even then, like... Granted, I was a kid, but I knew it was something different. It wasn't just eating bread. It wasn't just drinking wine. But as I've grown older and really looked into these things, it's a very, very powerful thing. Just like uh, the reason why, say, you as a non-Catholic or non-Orthodox want to receive communion versus like the reason me I or David wouldn't receive communion is very powerful in in biblical terms very dangerous to receive that communion if you're not ready yeah very dangerous and so I the more if I turned Christian I would that'd be something that the church I would be looking into I would want them to do weekly and for me looking biblically um i i would question the symbolic view a lot because you know if it's just a symbol why are christians warned to be fully prepared before they t- i asked uh, pastor mark this and his response was because the bible said so and i'm i'm just saying that was kind of a that wasn't a really satisfying answer for me. That was like, whereas the, with the God, the because God, why said so. God said so. Yeah. So like a lot of the, the, the more historic churches that say that this is the literal body and blood, uh, it makes a little bit more sense why you would want to take it a little bit more seriously because this is kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. And just, especially in the, like watching in the Catholic church, it being blessed and cleanse and they keep it under lock and key yeah like come on man if that doesn't show you 
how powerful that is to them. Yeah. And the and same with the Orthodox, the reverence they show for that and the preparation. The whole service is prep a lot of the service is preparation received the Eucharist. If a service has that in it in such a important role, it means a lot. Yeah. So I'm personally like undecided on that whole uh, symbolic versus literal debate, but uh, you know, being that I'm leaning Orthodox, they do b- believe it's the literal body and blood, but they uh, don't believe in transubstantiation. That like, which is basically the the like the like Father Dwight told us, it's kind of the philosophical understanding that it is being transformed into something. It's kind of basically that without the physical, the metaphysical explanation, the, yeah. the philosophical explanation for how it, it how it happens. It's more um, a mystery, and they try to preserve. They try to not explain things that they don't know in the Orthodox Church. They try to not over-explain things because they don't know the answers to them. They allow a lot of room for mysticism, right? Because religion itself is a supernatural thing. Like yeah. we can't reach out and touch God. But if he wanted to, he could reach out and touch you. Right. And me personally, obviously I'm not Christian, so it it doesn't matter to me. But I respect and understand why it's held in such high regard and why it's such a big point of Christianity. Yeah. And that's something going through this has even brought forth even more. Asking that same question to all the different pastors and priests has been very illuminating to how they each view those things. Watching the care and the preparation just to bring it to the people. Yeah. All right, so the next thing would be... uh, the importance of the sacraments slash ordinances, uh, which differed between the different churches we visited. The key difference being, as Pastor John said, that ordinances are obligations, whereas sacraments do something. And the number of sacraments differ depending on where you go. Uh, what do you think the implications of these different views? Um, what do you think the different the implications of these different views are? Basically. Can I ask you to do me a favor? What what's what's uh what's that? Break it down a little more for me. Um the ordinances being ordinances slash sacraments, they're basically the same thing. They're referring to the same things. They ju- the terms just mean different things depending on where you are. But this would be like baptism, the Lord's Supper. These are the universal ones across all of them. Mm-hmm. And then you have confession for the Lutheran, uh, Catholic, and Orthodox. Anglican, and Orthodox. Um, and then you have, uh, like, I'm not going to remember all of them off the top of my head because I'm not. Yeah, just, but, just like, spit. holy orders, um, marriage. Um, there's two other ones I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Uh, but anyways, those, those, those would be the sacraments. And then in your more radical reformed type churches are they, they're viewed as ordinances, which are things that are just obligatory. You just have to do because Jesus said you do them and the sacrament, 
the sacramental view is that you do them, yes, because Jesus said do them, but also because they actually do something supernaturally, spiritually. So what what is what are your thoughts on that kind of? I mean, like let's let's take marriage for example. Of course, there's legal married. We all know that, and we all witness that. But there's another thing to be spiritually bound, which is what marriage comes from. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are two different things. One, to me, holds a lot more weight than the other. Legal marriage holds dick to me. But to be spiritually bound to somebody through, not your government, but your higher power, that's a strong implication. Yeah, I also think that, especially with marriage, most people don't take, don't see them kind of as powerful as one should. Because, you know, if everyone's like, if you were stuck with one person for life, do or die, you're not going to just marry anyone. You know, Mar- marriage in particular is one of those very highly viewed sacraments yeah. because, um, through your relationship with your spouse, um, you're kind of bettering yourself and hopefully growing as a person and learning what to do and what not to do. And in a sense, it's kind of like a parallel relationship with God. Yeah. Um, it's kind of you see God in this other person and they see God in you and you kind of are working that relationship in a very physical, personal way that you would work with God in a very spiritual way. And there there is just a very high view of marriage in the sacramental sense yeah. compared yeah. to in a church that doesn't view marriage as a sacrament because they don't believe in sacraments. It's just kind of a thing you do. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's like, for like, for me, if I like viewing it kind of in the minds of a spiritual, spiritual person, I want to get married for like 20, 30 years after I be in a relationship, just because I want to ensure that we're both right for each other under whichever God we believe in. And we both spiritually push each other forward. Yeah. I mean, that's like me. Because, like, uh, if it's do or die, I want to make sure I ain't going to die. Yeah. That's like me personally. I'm not big on legal marriage. I'm very anti-marriage. But spiritual marriage, I'm, if you guys are on that same page, and when you say till death that you part, you mean it, all the power to you. Because I view it, if you're going to get married to someone, you should take that shit seriously. You shouldn't get married after six months being together. You shouldn't get married after a year being together. You should have time together and to know the other person in and out to be more than just a girlfriend, boyfriend. And I think that's an issue that we see with a lot of more modern Christian takes is I can tell you five, six, seven, eight marriages that have fallen apart. Shoot, 10, 20 probably. Within, and it's because they didn't take that seriously. They didn't really think about what being married is. It's more than just legally married. It's being spiritually tied with another person 
till death. And even if a religion believes in divorce for certain reasons, you should still go into it with that mindset of we're together forever. We're both a physical team and a spiritual team. Okay, so I just, to verify this, I went, I looked up the other two sacraments. Boom. Um, there's chrismation, which is in the, uh, well, the Catholic and Orthodox Church. I'm not sure if the Anglican, I think the Anglican Church does it as well, because they have the seven sacraments. Uh, basically, after you're baptized, you're chrismated, which is being anointed with oil, holy oil. Um, and that, that is when they believe that the Holy Spirit is descended upon you, basically. And then penance, which is, you know, when you do your confessions to the to a priest, um, they kind of give you something to do to repent for what you've done, basically. Like, yeah. say, uh, your Hail Marys or... It's... And right. So those are the other two uh, that I forgot yeah. earlier. But basically, in, in a more sacramental view, it, it's a, a more holistic view of the soul. It, it's a much more... It's a, it's a greater spiritual care um, than the, I, I don't want to be pejorative, but honestly, it's just, it's too simple to say the Lord's Supper and baptism are the only things that matter yeah, or, because, or their yeah. ordinances even. Because then why because would, it, God, just, it why just would God so create all these other things? Why would, why would we? And even, even to the, uh, the churches that don't, um, view something like marriage or penance or, or confession as a quote-unquote sacrament, they still value those things. Yeah. They just don't put them in that spiritual category. So I, I feel like those more radical Protestants don't have the resources for that spiritual growth that they want you to do, but mm. they just don't They yeah. just don't have yeah. it. Because if, and like with um, the anointing with oil... It's like that's tied to baptism. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that one's probably the easiest one to do because it's like once you bat once you're baptized, you kind of welcome in, and then once you're anointed, then the spirit's pretty much within you. Yeah, but yeah. I can tell. I also Basically. think. I also think me personally. Love um, Orthodox, by the way, uh, just because this is some random thing that I know. Let that. it out. Um, the the Orthodox chrismate you immediately after you're baptized, whereas the Catholics wait until you're of the age of reason to chrismate you. Yeah. And so that's a contentious debate between the two. But anyway. Yeah, though, I also kind of feel like with baptism, at least in my view, it should be once you're at the age, the reason, so you can make that choice for yourself. And it's like, uh, I... Everyone that wants to get their baby back. Well, if you believe in even yeah. uh, believers' baptism, then there's no chrismation in that. That's basically just a Baptist and Pentecostals anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, and me personally. Like, you you got to make, make your own decision. Me personally, one thing I've noticed is in the more radical views, they don't, the people who I've talked to don't take baptism that fucking seriously. And it, it literally says in the Bible to that for lack of baptism better, is salvific, that to, you have to be baptized. For lack of better words, saved. this shit is serious. Yeah. Like, the, and it, obviously I'm not the one to say 
who gets heaven, who goes to hell. But, like, you should really take baptism seriously. Just like you should really take being married in a church very fucking seriously. You don't do it just to do it. Yeah, that that's one problem I have with because modern evangelical Protestants is there's just a lot of stuff that they don't take seriously that they should. And that there's a lot of things that are in the Bible that they either clearly misinterpret or teach it outright wrongly to support their theological presuppositions. And I don't know what that that's a whole broader debate. And we'll probably talk about yeah. it in future episodes to some degree, but, but that'd be like, me. that's, that's what's drawing me away from that'd be like me going to a church and getting baptized right now. It wouldn't mean shit. Yeah. And I'm not going to disrespect like the, this, a whole you can, religion. You can just go to a pastor and say, yeah, I believe this stuff, and then she, play uh, it off, I, and I then the baptism. I could do it. <laughs> yeah. But me being first I am, I'm not going to disrespect someone's beliefs that way. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of people disrespect their what they say are their beliefs that way. Yeah. Or Cause at least they're under the societal and cultural pressures to do so. Yeah, because but, it's also one thing to not believe, but it's one thing to be kind of pressured and just by the expectations on you to believe, to have some sort of belief. And tying this to the interviews, like with Father Russ, I never felt like he was pushing me to be Christian. He wanted me to be because that's what he believes is the truth, but he never pushed. Father Dwight never pushed. Father Mark never pushed. And I wasn't wrong. Necess- I, I mean, obviously I'm wrong, but they understood and they listened and they wished the best for me instead of putting societal pressures on me to become Christian. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. And so... I see how seriously they take Christianity. Yeah, the just to kind of wrap up this this section before we move on to the next one. Before we um, get in a whole circle. Yeah, I, I just like I understand why Protestants, like the more radical Protestants, um, object. Well, really, all Protestants except for Anglicans uh, reject sacraments. It's because. They want to get down to the nitty-gritty, what is the bare minimum essence of what you need to believe to be saved. And I get that, but a sacramental worldview is a much more holistic one, and it, and it takes, in, takes into account a holistic spiritual care that one of ordinances or two sacraments doesn't necessarily do it doesn't carry the same weight yeah now that again that gets into the whole presuppositions of what protestants believe you know is necessary for salvation which we're going to talk about here in a second but if you take out the question of what is required for salvation i see more value in having sacraments because it like I said, it takes care of all these different aspects of your spirit and helps you grow as a person and spirit and in your spiritual walk. Yeah, because to grow as a person is also growing your spiritual sense. Even for someone who 
like myself, doesn't have a religion. Just has a blanket term that can fit many different people. One of my personal goals is to grow as an earthly person and a spiritual person. And if there's no reason to do it, why do it? That's what it all boils down to me. And so when I see these sacraments and I see the things that these people do for these sacraments and the effort and their spiritual essence they put into it, that means a whole lot more to me because they're living the way they're talking, talking, walking, walk. Right. That's like what taking communion series. If you take that shit seriously, you're not only talking and talking, you're also walking it. And you're giving it the respect it deserves. Yeah. So that's that's essentially what it boils down to me. I, so I see more value in the sacramental way. And that's not saying necessarily that any Protestant's wrong from my point. But yeah, I, see more. I, I, I agree with what, where you're coming from. Is like yeah. We're not trying to say one's right, one's wrong. We're just saying there's more, in our perspective, there's more value in a sacramental yeah. view. And, so and, if, and whether it, that you know whether that's right or wrong, that's subject to debate. Fair enough. Listen to the interviews. Come to your own conclusions. We're not going to know until we're dead. Yeah. We're not, we're not going to come to conclusions and say, like, this is what you ought to believe theologically. Uh, that was not the objective of this. This was the objective of these interviews and this episode is to give you a basis on basic understanding of what they believe and why. And tie it all together. And tell you what we think. And you can do your homework and you can come to your own conclusions. Yeah. This this is not for us to, you know, slander this group and then praise yeah. this group. That like I know that sounds like what we're, we're doing. Try, we're but trying to be as non-biased as we're we can. We're trying to pull what we we'll talk about what we can pull from it, basically. Yeah. yeah, and our perspective. And we and we let you know this is our perspective. Yeah, we're going to have innate biases. Yeah, so we might be wrong yeah. for yeah. all we're saying. And I, I'm not trying to say anyone is. You know, if I disagree with you, then then you're wrong. You in know, most like, of the places we went and we interviewed, they didn't tell us who was right, who was wrong. They just gave their perspective. Right. Yeah. Now, some some said what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. But 90% just, just gave their viewpoint. Gave their viewpoint. And, and that was the point. Wish us all the best. That was the point. When you have all these episodes, you can you can go and see what the different viewpoints are. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's let's move on from that one um so for the last part on on this section um do you think we've received contradictory views on soteriology which is how we are saved or do you think we have received a more cumulative case um which would be like the faith versus works debate thing one thing i notice in the more traditional churches is that faiths and works are not separated yeah your works happen but through your faith, for lack of better words. Not not because, oh, I should do this because it's a good thing to do, but instead of thinking that way, it's more, let me help this person. Because they are moved by their religion. They don't move through their religion, for lack of better terms. They're not trying to win God over. Yeah. 
they're doing it because they want to be a good person. Right. And because it's in that not, sense, it's like C.S. Lewis said, it's, it's like two sides of a pair of scissors. Yeah. It's like, they're not separate things that you, you kind of need both. They, they both work together for greater. Right. I think father Mark put it in the best way. The right hand shouldn't know what the left is going to do. Yeah. I, I think that, that was very powerful to me because it, instead of, thinking about all the good things you can do you just do it yeah you, you don't have to do it because it's what God would want to do you do it because it's what should be done I um we'll probably talk more about this in a future episode and it's probably going to piss some Protestants off when I say this but I, I think the faith versus works distinction is an unnecessary arbitrary distinction to be yeah. made because you can't work your way to heaven. No one claims that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the and people... On the other hand, faith without works is that... Right. This is one of the things that frustrates me about certain Protestants. Um, is they will straw man Catholics and preach it to their fellow Protestants as if this is what Catholics believe. But it's not what Catholics believe. They will say, Catholics believe in works salvation. We interviewed a Catholic priest. He does not believe that. A very well-traveled, very knowledgeable Catholic priest. And he said it explicitly. We believe that they are two sides of the same coin, effectively. Yeah. So I, I think it's an unnecessary, arbitrary, philosophical, intellectual debate that is completely worthless and bankrupt. And, and all you little, what would Jesus do? Fucking <clears throat> bracelets being jack shit. I don't know. It, that's just one of the things that like is like, oh, well, because because it leads to so many absurdities in Protestantism in my eyes, because like so many Protestants are like, oh, well, that's work salvation. If you're trying to do this to do what like, no, but who, who's <laughs> the one doing do most of the work salvation? <laughs> that's the fucking problem. And, and, then, and then it gets to really nitty gritty, fine tuned of like, well, is faith a work? <gasps> And it's just, it's so, it's so, it's a work, I don't, it's frustrating. But the same it's so people, dumb and irrelevant to the me. The same people who would preach, who would say exactly what you're saying are ones trying to work their way to heaven, yeah. is what I've seen. Whereas someone like Father Dwight, Father Mark, Father Russ, if they do something, it's not them working to get heaven. It's them being a good person. It's them living a Christian life. So in my mind, it's not a, a faith versus works battle. It's not like faith Either faith is what gets you to heaven or works is what gets you to heaven. It's both. Both perpetuate each other to help you on um, your sanctification. It's not having an emphasis on either or, but having an emphasis on both together and having a right understanding of how they yeah. both relate to one another. Because if you put too much emphasis in one or the other, you you end up in an unhealthy spiritual state. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, well put. Because they're supposed to kind of work together and synergize and perpetuate each other on your path to sanctification. Right. Wow, David, you, you've learned a lot as a filthy atheist. Uh, well, I mean, I... You I, put it for quite well there. Yes, the well, way. I mean, I also think that one man should <coughs> help another, so... And yeah. you, you know my, my viewpoint on what I want to do before I die. 
So it kind of falls similarly in line. I don't want to be a dick. Yeah, and I, and mean, I want to make sure people are taken care of. The same ones that would say that this religion or that religion or this denomination, that tradition, are works to be saved are the same ones that are trying to do works to be saved. Then that's what I'm going to leave it at. All right, well, as we're wrapping up this episode, which has been... Actually, one more thing. Oh, go ahead. A dirty man tangent comes. And also, the ones... The ones that say how much they do or this and really emphasize that are the ones allowing themselves to be driven by ego. The ones who just do it because it's what should be done and don't tell anyone about it or don't bombard about it or quietly do it. Don't boast. Well, I think it's one thing to be like, take the ego out of it. I think it's one thing to be like, hey, here's what we do versus we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. You know, it's like letting, you know, like, here's kind of what we're about. It's one thing to to do it and not publicize it, and it's another thing to broadcast to the world. Hey, look what we're doing. Someone's interested, and it's like, yeah, here's what we do. If you'd like to join in, be welcome. Yeah, that's like... Versus, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. Yeah. In the Catholic Church, they have the the uh, food thing for with a saint. I can't remember his name, but where they go drop cans of food off. Or in the Lutheran Church, they have the thing where you put money in a baby bottle, and that helps mm-hmm. fight against yeah. abortion. Or which to, they, which most Christians are very or against. Like the Orthodox, they just help people out and, and motor lawn and stuff and it's like you wouldn't know they were orthodox probably yeah. <laughs> if they're probably in shorts and a shirt just trying to stave off the sun it very much felt if we didn't ask either we would naturally find out or we might have never known that they were doing these things alright so as we wrap up what are some of your favorite things you've learned during this process? One of one of my favorite things is the appreciation of the more traditional and exploring all these different denominations and traditions. Cuz I I had never been to an Anglican, Presbyterian, actually maybe I've been to a Presbyterian Lutheran, Catholic. I'd never been to a Catholic. Never even thought about it. Ooh, Catholic. Never been to a Russian Orthodox. And learning and appreciating each of these different theological perspectives and understanding why and sitting with each priest and talking to them and creating that dialogue and understanding where they're coming from, where understanding where my hesitations are and kind of giving me a better understanding of Christianity and its vast differences throughout the traditions and denominations, but also the similarities. And it's really gave me more of an appreciation for the more traditional stance and made me appreciate hymns, made me appreciate the iconography, made me appreciate the architecture even more. 
and the history and the care that goes into these things. That's one thing I've learned is how much care goes into these things. Like with uh, the Eucharist. Watching the preparation really talks you on a different level. Walking into these different churches and just being awestruck at the care and the countless hours that went into making it the way it is. And hearing people just recite in the Orthodox Church, recite chants as if it was effortless. As if they've practiced it a million times. Or in the Catholic Church, the choir and how on point they were. It's really made me... with their choir. Yeah. It made me really appreciate all these different perspectives and kind of get a better understanding. And that's what I've enjoyed the most. Because, yeah, I'm not Christian, but I can still appreciate it. I can still understand the beauty within it. It has made me really look at how in some ways Christianity is viewed as these few denominations which are in the public eye. But there's a whole world outwards of that. Like I didn't know where the, I didn't know we had the Lutheran church in Aiken. I didn't know about the Presbyterian church we went to. I didn't even know there's an Anglican church anywhere near us. Yeah. Russian Orthodox was a whole foreign thing to me. Yeah, I mean that one was a drive up. We didn't we we want if someone was like, yeah, there's a Russian Orthodox, a little over hour and a half, maybe two hours or whatnot. It's be like, you're lying. Yeah, and I know that's. I, a- I mean, Catholic Catholics, well, Catholicism's big enough that yeah, there's probably one. Like Russian Orthodox is like, dang, I didn't know that, and. I know it's a pretty broad answer, but really it's made me look into these things and try to understand them more and create more of a ground to build upon and to create these dialogues. Because, yeah, I might not subscribe to any of them in a spiritual sense, but by understanding them, I can be guided further. And I can appreciate different things from each one of them. And I think that's been the biggest thing for all these interviews for me. And just conversations we've had, the history, the answers we've been given, and the welcoming we've been shown as outsiders. That, to me, really, really has been the biggest thing. So I know this pretty broad answer and that no, I mean, it's, it's a good answer. Prior to doing this series of episodes, I'd been to uh, basically a couple different forms of Baptist churches and um, the Greek, Greek, a Orthodox. Greek Orthodox Church. And that was pretty much all of my, which, by the way, those are two completely opposite, yeah, you, you, different. You had, like, almost a literal binary. Yeah, those, those are very opposite you, you ends run of the, the spectrum. Gauntlet. You just went from one side to another with you and yeah. the Greek Orthodox. And yeah. 
your um, experience with Baptist. But basically, I I'd known like a little bit about the other uh, denominations and stuff, and, and to me personally, there's just in my own journey, I've, I've there's been some that I'm more interested in and some that I'm less interested in. So just as a natural result of that, there have been some that I've looked into more than others. So I, it was good to kind of go to these different services and meet with these different pastors and priests. And, um, you know, hopefully it wasn't redundant for people to hear the same questions being asked over and over again. But that's also, also but that's, that was the point yeah. is that you get the different answers yeah. Yeah, the beauty for the same is, questions. The beauty it, is like a difference. It's not about us sitting there talking. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a control group for, for the, for the questions where you can kind of see where those similarities are and where those differences are. Yeah. And I, mean, we did vary questions depending on the denomination based on the kind of what we know and what yeah. we, but the for the most part, specific it was, questions, yeah. but most of it was kind of the same stuff. Because we wanted to know. Yeah. yeah. So we wanted to know these how each church viewed these things, if they viewed them the same or if they viewed them differently. And Yeah, they're um, kind of hot topics. Yeah. I mean and it again it's not, you know, comprehensive or anything, but it's a good introduction point for anyone looking into any of these things and hopefully it'll be a good resource for people looking into it. If nothing else, it's good good stepping stone for us on our journeys. Yeah, but because I'm not expecting David to be a non-atheist. Nope. No one's expecting me to concrete my views, and I'm not expecting you to change. But we all have this moment together, and I'll we all have these experiences. I'll be con- uh, converted into whatever religion before Michael makes up his mind, <laughs> and I think that's the beauty of it is these shared experiences and these shared dialogues. Yeah, well, it's been good. I think it's been good for all of us to go to these different churches. And share our thoughts, and ironically, we pretty much all agree on everything, despite the fact you would not think it, but an atheist, an agnostic, and a Christian pretty much all agree on everything about about the services. Even when we differ, we all kind of have similar, like, thought process and similar, like, methods of action. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... It's like... It's healthy to disagree. Yeah. But it's also healthy to have the understanding of why we disagree. Like, why would I disagree with, say, the Pentecostal viewpoint? It's healthy for me to have that experience and have that conversation so I really understand why and not just go by what I've been told. Right. Yeah. It's like, so that, that that was mainly what it has been for me is just like kind of like you said, the broad answer of just comparing and contrasting them all on a – basically the point of – basically this episode – Everything we've talked about is why, because we can kind of take everything while each episode has been very at the micro level, you know, the interview with this person or our thoughts on this service that's been at the micro level. This is the more macro taking all of those things into consideration and being able to kind of look at them and analyze them piece by piece and by denomination and having that experience in and of itself is just a massive learning process and a beneficial experience. And also another thing to me is I know if I ever have any spiritual questions, say about Christianity, you have resources. I have, you can, you can contact these people. Yeah. These are just normal people. Just, they might be of a higher level in the church, 
but they are more than willing to answer. I feel I could go to a service and ask, hey, when are you free? I got some questions. I'd like to talk to you. And all these people would welcome me in. Yeah. And that's, we might disagree politically. We might be in different socioeconomical classes. We might disagree religiously. But it's creating that dialogue and knowing that they're, knowing that people do want to talk about these things. It doesn't have to be hush-hush. That me and Bailey sit here and we might argue till we're blue in the face on one subject, but we turn the page and we're on the same page. And to me, that's kind of the beauty of all of this. Yeah. And all these interviews create that kind of micro level of these certain individuals with these certain denominations or traditions, but it also opens sort to a broader perspective. And so that's, I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of this series. Yeah, I have to. It's been very long. Um, oh, hopefully oh, yeah. it hasn't been too, uh, hasn't burned anyone out too much. Cause I know this has been going up for like three or four months at this point. Yeah. But, but it's truly been a labor of love. I've loved every moment of this. Yeah. Like I haven't thought once that I have better things to do. I have personally taken time off of work to do this series. Yeah. I mean, I've pulled a 24 hour or two. <laughs> yeah. And because you know, the non-believer got to work Sundays. Yeah. But I mean, I rather work Sundays than someone who wants to go to church and whatnot. Yeah. But you know, I mean, be nice and courteous. I think for all of us, we've put our time, our effort, our money into this. This has been a labor of love, if nothing else. And I really hope that even if you don't change your theological standpoint or your religious standpoint, that you at least allow yourself to open up to these conversations. That you're not just an edgy person posted a oh, well, my denomination is right because this, or, oh, atheism is right besides no, no, no. this, you or agnosticism, agnosticism is right because of this. But instead of <laughs> shoving that into people's faces, creating that dialogue and understanding why someone believes the way they do. Because you're not going to change anybody. I don't give a fuck what you do. Either they're going to believe it or not. But what you can do is create a better understanding of each other and a better environment for all of us to coexist. Word. Yeah, so the, the the law of David, rule number one, don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. And so for all the edgy atheists that have left us many, many responses, <laughs> and for all the Christians who have left us responses too. Yeah, that... Create... Completely side thing. All of the atheist comments have been really mean. Yeah, yeah. And that, all of the Christian comments have been really nice. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating on this. I mean... Oh, I, you show me all of them. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, it, the, the atheists are going against what they're against, so it's just like, yeah, they're going to be edgy, but atheists are usually edgy. <laughs> because at the end of the day... I mean, they got nothing to live we're for. All, we're all people on this earth. <laughs> we all have to live live with each other. We could be talking to your neighbor. We might have interviewed your neighbor. That, that'd be interesting. Yeah. We might have been sitting in a pew next to your grandma. We're all people. We're all just trying to find our way, and we're all trying to find what we believe in and what we think is right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this. Well, we've got to wrap this one up because it's been going on for like two hours now. Yeah. Um, so, in summary, 
hopefully it was a, a good learning experience and a good resource for people. Uh, that's what I hope, at least as a goal of this series. I know it was beneficial for all of us to kind of go to these different churches and do these different interviews for the reasons we've just listed for the past two hours. Um, any other final thoughts before we wrap it up? Don't be a dick. Be nice to each other. Love you guys. Go go to, if you are interested in these things, connect with your local churches and do what we did. Yeah, all right. Because, I take mean, the, that's all we did is we emailed them. Or if you find something them. you're interested in and you want to take a little trip, take a little trip. Who yeah, cares? Just We just emailed them and we did this. Yeah, and they reached, they reached out back to us. Like, it's very much we asked them and they they brought us in. They took times out of their days, too. Yeah. And, like, they might have been able to do a million other better things, but they chose their time to throw into this as much as we chose for our time into this. And all of them have been very kind and charitable and and willing to answer the questions, and all of them have been uh, respectful and thankful that we've even done the interview, and we're thankful that they did it. So it's just been a good time for everyone involved. It's everyone, all the preachers who have reached out back to us have all been super nice yeah, and have all appreciated what, what we've done and what we're trying to do and respected our viewpoints, even if they might be viewed as absurd or anything, they respected them. And so one final thing I want to say is thank you to every priest that has allowed us into their home, into their church welcomed us with open arms and had this conversation because at the end of the day without them we would just be three guys front of a microphone yeah I think this has been very beneficial for these conversations for us yeah so also before we end this episode off uh, I forgot to mention this in the original recording so I'm putting this here in post if you were interested in learning more about any of these denominations that we visited I'm leaving two links to playlists in the show notes one of them is to a channel called 10 minute bible hour and the other one is gospel simplicity both of these were kind of inspirations for this series and they provide video tours and interviews with um, pastors and priests in their local areas so if you're interested in learning more uh, definitely go check those out all right well i think that's been been about it um if you're on a platform that lets you review us give us five stars because you know we're great uh follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at face you the know Gates. just review us if you can so, i don't care if it's five stars it could be one or no, five stars. it has to be five stars subscribe otherwise to, it'll get hidden subscribe Not, to us on youtube seriously subscribe we um, and also if you have comments questions or concerns Email us at facingthegatespod at gmail.com. Post your questions, concerns, or comments on any of our social media, on YouTube. Yeah. Let us know. We love reaching back out because we all... The point of this is to start dialogue, so let's have dialogue. Rule number one. And share the podcast with your friends if you can't review it. And rule number one, don't be a dick. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. And we'll see you guys next week on Facing Gates Podcast. Yeah.